Welcome back to YouthWorks Effective Ministry Podcast, the podcast that helps you to have an effective youth and children's ministry in your local church. My name is Tim Bealhartz. I'm one of the children's ministry advisors for YouthWorks Ministry Support. And we are currently in the middle of a short series on church history and its significance for youth and children's ministry. Last episode, we heard the audio from Dr. Ruth Lacabio's Theology Think Tank on the early Sunday school movement in Australia. If you haven't already listened to that episode, I encourage you to go back at some point and listen to that as well. But in this episode, I wanted to follow up with Ruth. Ruth is the Dean of Women and the Church History Lecturer at YouthWorks College. And we talk more generally about church history in relation to ministry to young people. We cover what got Ruth into history in the first place, what aspects of history encourage her the most, uh, what to do with some of those troublesome bits of church history, and finally, uh, the so what, so what for youth and children's ministry. Why would we incorporate aspects of church history in our ministry to young people and why that matters? But I didn't just want to take the lecturer's word for it. I wanted to talk to those who are at the coalface of ministry. So what you'll find next episode, you'll hear my conversation with James Ulrich and Caitlin Dixon from St. Mark's Anglican Church, West Wollongong, about why, as youth and children's ministers, they incorporate church history into their ministry and how they have done so. So make sure you subscribe to this feed in your favourite podcast app so you'll get James and Caitlin's episode as soon as it drops. But for now, let's jump into my conversation with Dr. Ruth Lacabio. So I'm here with Dr. Ruth Lacabio talking about church history, uh, and particularly how do we help uh, children and teenagers engage with church history? How do we helpfully teach them about church history? And I thought, Ruth, it'd be good to start with how did you get into church history? Where does this passion for church history come from? Great question. Thanks, Tim. Um, Well, my personal journey, I think I first loved, well, I didn't even realise it was church history probably, but when I was a kid and when I was a teenager, my dad and probably Sunday school teachers used to give me like Christian biographies of figures from church history, well, modern church history. So there were particular uh, books that I read and um, so one of them would have been, this is an autobiography, Corrie Ten Boom's book, The Hiding Place, um, which for those people who haven't read it, Corrie Ten Boom was a woman who, um, she was from the Netherlands at the time of World War II and she and her family took in Jews who were hiding from the Nazis because they're in danger of being taken into concentration camps. And eventually she and her family were caught and they were taken into the concentration camp themselves. Um, they were Christian believers and that they protected those people because of their faith in Jesus. Um, and she, um, she, her family, she was, a, she was released, um, but not all of her family survived. Um, so, you know, after liberation. And then she went on to write her story and she had a speaking, you know, speaking ministry um, and really sh- was able to share the gospel through her amazing um, life story. After one of her speaking engagements, she came face to face with one of the one of her captors. So one of the Nazi 
captors from the concentration yeah, wow. camp. <laughs> um, and she was able to forgive this captor. And I remember reading this story and just thinking, oh, my goodness, how do you come to a place where you're able to forgive someone that who's done that evil to you? Mm. And it was all through, like, really through the work of, of understanding the gospel and what Jesus has done for you um, and understanding the magnificence of Jesus grace and forgiveness and the work of his spirit in your life that gives you the power to be able to forgive other people. So, you know, she's in one sense an ordinary person, um, but then, you know, able to do incredible things through or an incredible act of forgiveness through Mm. the work of the spirit. So it's, um, you know, it's not like she a church history figure like that changed the church, but like an ordinary person in history. Yeah, who was Christian. Who was a Christian. you could see that play out. Yeah, how, yeah, exactly. Mm. Like how that played out, how that changed her personal life. Yeah. um, And her story. And I think the fact that she was um, like a woman, because I was a girl, like reading the stories, um, of other women and what it was like for them to be a Christian was important as well. Yeah, yeah. So as we, as you look back on history and you, you saw these characters from history living out their faith. Yeah, yeah exactly. That was teaching you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so that's a little bit of how you got interested in that and now you're currently teaching in church history at YouthWorks. Tell us a little bit about how you ended up um, – Teaching history, pursuing history, you've now got a doctorate in church history. How did that all come about? Well, I I love stories. So, I mean, that was a story about Grace and Boom. Um, I love people and I love stories. So put those two things together. (laughs) (laughs) And um, so the stories and I love big ideas that change the world. Mm. So... Um, that for me is history and I think what we see in church history is the way that God has worked in his world and the way that the gospel um, works in people's lives and the way that God through the church and through his people um, keeps on generation after generation building his church and also engages with the world and transforms the world and um, keeps on like this interesting dynamic between the church and the world and sort of the each context is different mm. like Croton Boom well that, that was the 20th century and the challenges of the 20th century like there's Nazi Germany and a different country different world like yep. well that's not our context our context is the 21st century. That's totally different again. Different ideas that we're coming up against, different country, different everything. So what are the different ideas that, that we as 21st century people are coming up against? Um, what are the challenges for us as a church? Uh, how are we going to engage with them? Um, how are we going to respond? What's, yeah. So for me, church history is always practical it's it's kind of it's an apologetic kind of um, 
process. Like it helps me. I, I always think, you know, we look back to the past to look. It helps us look forward. How has God worked in the past um, through his people? And by looking in the past, that helps us to then think in a new way about the f- about the future. Mm. And also it's very encouraging because God keeps on being faithful. Yes. Generation to generation. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let me play devil's advocate a bit though. Okay. Um, <laughs> so uh, you and I, we were children and teenagers a number of decades ago now. You know, we, oh, yeah. we, as we interact with children and teenagers today, the world has changed and they're living in a world of, you know, expressive individualism is a big term that's thrown around, but mm-hmm. it's it's just about me. We live in an era where we're largely anti-history. We want to get rid of those stories. Um, you know, what yeah. relevance does all of that have? So what would you say for children and teenagers today, uh, what is the importance of learning from history? Like how do we actually help them to understand and maybe even care for uh, the fact that they shouldn't be learning from church history when we're in this age which disparages the old and always only looks forward to the new. Yeah. Even the word sounds a bit boring, doesn't it? Church history. <laughs> <laughs> it's really sad. Um, yeah, history's got a bit of a bad reputation these days. People think it's really boring and people are dropping out. Like history's like at, at university, people aren't signing up to do mm. history anymore. Um and yes, we're quite anti-history. Um, I think there is a sense of uh, presentism, might be another ism, mm. that we live in the moment. Yes. And that we're, you know, for young people, um, it's all about me in the moment. Uh, my identity is expressing who I am right now today. And so it doesn't matter so much where where I've come from or my heritage or my parents or my grandparents or whatever. What matters is how I'm feeling right now, my yep. subjective, who I am. Um, so history isn't so important. So, yeah, how do we win them over to history? Yeah. Um, well, again, still stories are still very – they evoke the imagination – um, and uh, I think we still use stories and we win them over with the big story of not just of the Bible, which is the, you know, God's story, but um, that, of course, is our authority, um, but also the story of how God has worked in the past through his people, which I think is actually really attractive and really appealing. Mm. So there's that. Um, also, I think uh, what young people are being taught has is, being, is a little bit destructive because there is a story about history that they are being taught suggestively yes. in the media. Um, they're being taught... I, I think they're being taught that what's happened in the past by, you know, white men, um, Western civilization, is that, that it's been really oppressive mm-hmm. and really exploitative, um, especially to indigenous populations. 
and to women and to black people and to LGBTI um, people. And what we need to do is to listen to the voices of minorities and, you know, show up the, you know, sort of tear down the statues, pull down the statues of the old white guys and get rid of the history. Yeah, we need to overcome our history. Overcome our history, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. get rid of it all. Mm. Um, But actually um, that anti-historical sort of sense is sort of throwing out the baby with the bathwater. There's a lot of good stories of the good things that have come through Western civilization, dare I say it, like it sounds, even even as I say it, like I know that what I'm saying is um, very anti-cultural. Like, yeah, yeah, there's a cultural cringe. To a cultural even, cringe. Even admitting that there might yeah. be something good in our past yeah. as Westerners. Yeah. 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 So let's look at both sides of that. Um, let's look at the positive. What are some of those major events as we look through church history? Yes. Um, when we connect with young people who are very justice conscious, Yes. Um, very minority and oppressed conscious, they want to do... Uh, right what they see as the wrongs um, mm-hmm. and, and uphold the voice of the marginalised. That's a lot of the language, um, which, I mean, yeah, we see that in the language of Scripture, that God is a God for, of the vulnerable and mm-hmm. the oppressed and you know, the widow and the orphan and the foreigner. Um, and so we have seen Christians um, across all nations, but you know, if we think particularly about uh, Western Christianity particularly, uh, where do we see the positives? Like, what are some of those positive mm. stories of our Western Christian church history that are worth reminding young people today of? Mm. Can I tell you one of my favorite stories? Please do. Okay, so William Wilberforce, um, he was a Christian of um, the 19th century, an English Christian. Uh, well, he he grew up a very rich English man and was converted sort of intellectually when he was 21. So, uh, you know, he was he, – he went into politics and, you know, if you're a politician, you buy your way into parliament, but for half the year, like, you do nothing – um, basically, this is what rich people did. Yeah. Um, and so for half the year, he would like go along the French Riviera, like on a boat. And like for two years in a row, he went with a Christian friend. And so the Christian friend like evangelized him along the French Riviera. And after the second year, he became a Christian. Yeah, wow. Yeah, when he was 21. He was sort of best friends then with the Prime Minister, William Pitt. And so. Once he became a Christian, he was very convicted. What was he going to do with his life? Um, how was he going to make it count? And he thought, should I become a minister um, and preach the gospel? Um, and he went to John Newton, who was the man who wrote Amazing Grace. Yep, previous um, slave owner. Exactly. Massive conversion. Yep. Exactly. And said, and I sort of tried to get his guidance, and John Newton said, actually encouraged him to stay in politics in parliament because um, he thought there's a place for him here that 
only he could do. Because mm. um, Newton had become a minister himself, is that he right? He had. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. right. So it's interesting that he had. Yeah. He'd, he'd gone along one path and he'd become. Yeah, in ministry, um, yeah. and yet can encourage his friend William to um, stay in Parliament. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there's exactly. lots of different ways. I mean, even in that, we see there's different ways to be Christian and to express faith. But anyway, yeah. sorry, continue with That's the story. That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, young William, um, he spent his life uh, doing doing good. Um, and in particular, the huge thing that he worked on was the abolition of slavery. So for 20 years, he brought bill after bill after bill to parliament to, to bring about the abolition of slavery. Um, he worked really hard with a group of many, many, many other Christians, especially Quakers, actually, um, to help Build a, because he had to bring the British population along with him. So lots of petitions and books and propaganda and um, all kinds of help to persuade ministers um, that this was the right thing to do. Um, they had to, in the end, it, it cost him his health. Um, it, 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 was, it was a lifetime work to convince Parliament eventually to do this. It cost the British government actually half um, the national GDP. Wow. They had to pay off the slave owners. Um, sorry, not the slave owners, the traders. Yeah. Um, in order to allow, you know, the abolition of the slave trade. And um, the it, it was 18, 1807 was the abolition of slave trade. And 1833, slavery itself was illegal in the colonies. William Wilberforce died three days later. Wow. So he just saw the end. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's just this amazing, amazing man. That was, that was his life's work. But on, on top of that, his fingers were in all these different pies. Like he, I can't believe the amount of things he did. He, he established the RSPCA, so the Care for Animals. Yep. Um, he was involved in establishing all these schools for poor children because it, it's before the beginning of we're just used to the government doing all this care for yeah, the public poor. schooling and public yeah. hospitals and those kinds of things. This is in a time where governments didn't do any of that care for poor. Like yep. if you were poor, you had to look after yourself. Mm. But William Wilberforce uh, really was working in Parliament to try and and, and also amongst Christ, gathering Christians together, raising up money to help those who are poor in their society. Um, so, you know, raising money for schooling, raising money for Sunday schools, um, for what else did he do? For, for Bibles, the Bible Society, um, for uh, helping people in prison. Like prisons were like, Slums, they were terrible. Like to raise the conditions of um, prisons yep. to help people who are criminal, um, uh, laws to protect children who were working in factories. Um, there was just thing, law after law after law, all this social justice that William Wilberforce did, and many, many, many evangelicals did at that time, mm. um, that just brought about 
and incredible care, especially for the poor and the vulnerable in that society. And that went hand in hand with preaching the gospel. So he believed in both those things, preaching the gospel and uh, the, the care for those in society. And he thought in terms of hand in hand, he wrote a book and what he said was, you, how do you transform society? The, the main way is that you preach the gospel and that will change a person's life and their heart and then they'll begin to good, do good deeds that's the outworking of faith is good deeds. And then those good deeds will lead to love for others, which will transform society. Mm. I just find him totally inspiring. And there's a, yeah, there's that strong connection there between word and deed, and yeah, uh, which we see right throughout scripture and also church yeah. history. So there's a story for our young people who um, are being uh, rightly immersed in this care for the vulnerable and, and wanting to look after uh, the marginalised. And so we can actually point to figures in church history who have actually done that. So it's not all bad news. There's actually inspiring stories of yeah, yeah. Christians who have um, been doing the the practical outworkings of faith, as you said, mm. um, tied closely with the preaching of the gospel. Yeah. Um, and so that can be inspiring for young people. Uh, we need to be honest, though, there have been some really hard parts of church yeah. history as well. <laughs> um, what do we do with the tricky bits? Like, yeah, I mean, the Crusades is a pretty significant one um, where we look back and we go, well, that was just awful, um, Yeah. at least in, in the way we understand it. Uh, how do we – do we need to apologise for the Crusades? Do we need to find the best in them and eulogise them in some way? What do we do with the, the hard bits of yeah. church history? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I – John Dixon has written this – terrific book called Saints and Bullies and I really love the title because he's just really upfront that in the church when we look at church history we can't just say Christians are all saints that we're all that the only way that we talk about Christian is as great great heroes we're all just really fantastic like um, that we of all people have to recognize that we know as Christians that we're sinners and that we are, you know, that we have forgiveness in Christ. Um, and therefore, when we look back on the history of the church, it's not going to be surprising to us that we see sin. And we see sin in Christians and we see sin in our institutions and we see sin in the church. And therefore, um, we shouldn't be surprised that evil has been done. Mm. Um, and we, yes, we should be lament that. And um, yes, not cover it up um, and uh, be open like John Dixon is, that mm. there's saints and bullies. Um, uh, the Crusades, I think it's it's a bit more tricky, just that uh, the cultural context, it was a bit more, it is harder to tell because of the, the nature of like the Christian, it was a Christianized kind of context. So, you know, were they faithful disciples of Jesus who were 
doing the deed or were they just calling themselves Christians? Um, there wasn't really another option, was there? I mean, if you were in Western Europe, you were Christian. Yeah, I mean, that's just, right. It's kind of part and parcel of who you were. There was, and so it's not necessarily a uh, declaration of you know faithful allegiance to the Lord Christ. Yeah, it, it was just, are you Christian? I guess so. I'm not a pagan, so yeah. why not? Yeah, yeah, yes, that's right. I mean, you can definitely say it doesn't look like discipleship, <laughs> does it? It doesn't look like following Jesus. Um, yeah. And, um, yeah, what can you say? You just... Yeah. Yeah. I think you're, like, we've got both of these things that uh, genuine disciples of Jesus uh, will still fail um, and will do sometimes horrific things. Yeah, um, yeah. Even as disciples of Jesus, um, lamentably, that, that's still the case. Um, and, yeah, when we do look back on... Western civilization, we see that yeah, the, the Christendom or where everyone was a Christian. So there's a lot of people that, by name, would have been Christian, may have even used Christianized language, but um, we're not disciples of Jesus. We'll not be a new creation with us forever. And so it's kind of we can't always be um, judges of individuals yeah, or yeah, particular people. But true. we sort of see that I guess the Christian faith allows for both of those things to be true yeah um yeah so let's uh sort of knit this together then uh you've talked a little bit about your own uh inspiration that you got from biographies um, particularly the christian women were significant to you um we can see that there are uh parts of our christian history that we do want to uphold and celebrate and recognize have been uh, really influential um doing good uh, in the world as you know, great people of faith and of the word and of scripture and pastors and ministers and also those who have been doing great acts of social justice. As uh, Let's think again about the young people we're talking to, the children, the youth, mm. the young adults. Um, what is your hope for them as, as individual disciples of Jesus? Mm. How are you hoping that the stories of faith and stories of the faithful uh, shaping them as believers. Um, Ethan, uh, one of, um, uh, commented online when I put out that we were doing this episode, I uh, asked for some questions. Ethan wrote in a great one. You know, what benefit is church history? Um, well, he said to the unbeliever, but also to believers. What are we hoping that learning about church history will do for personal faith? Hmm. Well, I hope it will... Well, first of all, give, um, like those biographies, give concrete personal stories about how to live out your life as a disciple of Jesus, either as a um, man or a woman in Christ, um, to live courageously and um, to take up your cross and follow Jesus. And that means, I think, sometimes at a cost, um, putting Jesus first, um, uh, being willing to proclaim Jesus and, some, and sometimes face persecution and to forgive others. Like they were key things for me mm. um, in the stories that I read. Um, uh you were sharing earlier before about um, yeah. Elizabeth Elliot as well. Do you want to, yeah, to tell yeah. her story and why she was meaningful? Yeah, yeah, that's a yeah. She's a really great one, um, and like 
you wanted to bring it to like I wasn't sure whether you were going like how where this might come into actual like on the ground like where you might teach this I was thinking yeah well I think we want to um, help the the listeners who uh, majority of people listening to this will be practitioners in children's and youth ministry so um, I guess yeah part of this question is what do we actually do in our children's and youth ministries as well? How do we actually yeah. put this into practice in our yeah, – yeah. do we build regular programs? Do we do a church history term? Do we do one-off events? Like yeah. how would you encourage us to be using these stories in our programming and in our ministries? Yeah, yeah. So Elizabeth Elliot, so she was another um, person that inspired me. Her story, um, she was a missionary along with her husband, Jim Elliot. And uh, they were missionaries in Ecuador and her husband was actually killed um, uh, by the people that he was preaching the gospel to. But she stayed in Ecuador for another two years um, preaching the gospel to the people who killed her husband. Yeah, it's amazing. So, yeah, incredible. Again, like uh, Corrie Ten Boom, incredible forgiveness. Mm. And courage, oh, my goodness. Like, I'd be terrified. I'd be back on that plane straight away. Um, um, But that, uh, yeah, courage in the face of persecution. And I was thinking about, like, your question about, okay, how would you teach this? At the moment in my... um, my ministry with teenagers, like year seven to nine, I think we're doing one Peter. And I think, well, okay, this is all about being Christians and not giving into fear and living in persecution and doing good. Um, well, like, as I'm talking about this, you know, bringing in a story like this about Elizabeth Elliot would be a great. Um, illustration in some of these Bible studies that I'm doing with them, like I can bring in the story, mm. like as I um, in some of these Bible studies that I'm that I'm doing. So I wouldn't necessarily do a whole term on or a whole talk on Elizabeth Elliot, but I might uh, give her a bit of a you know a five minute tell the story about her for five minutes or something in. Um, as an illustration. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so you don't necessarily have to choose between either doing exegetical work on a passage or doing church history, but you're using the church history stories to flesh out and illustrate the point that you're That's making. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, which I think addresses a couple of the other questions we got in uh, from Ben and from Anthony asking very similar things like do you do you mix in a little bit? How do you stay true to the gospel? Um, Anthony asked about whether we, yeah, if we're teaching church history and therefore not teaching it with the Bible, are we going to get complaints by parents or other ministry teams? But I think you're saying that uh, we don't have to choose between those two. We can tell the faithfulness of God by telling these stories and we can illustrate our uh, exegetical passages by bringing in the, the church history there. Yeah. Um, the, we were talking just before we hit record about uh, maybe there are some opportunities to do Particular focuses, though, you mentioned sort of Reformation Day might be a good one. You want to tell us uh, what Reformation Day is for those who might not know and how might you use that day to particularly dig into something that's really significant for us in church history? Yeah. So uh, Reformation Day is just, you know, 
Well, the Anglican Church used to be really into particular days. So you kind know, of lost we, that a lot in our particular well, yeah, tribe. Lost, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, we have particular saints' days and these days and these days. Um, but uh, Reformation Day has come back a bit in again. Um, I'm not sure why, but we had the uh, the 500th. We, we recently, did. which I think maybe have brought maybe a little that bit brought it back in back into our consciousness. Yeah. I don't know what the date is because I'm not big into days myself, but I'm sure, you know, someone can look it up. Is, um, it, is it the 31st of October? No idea. I have a feeling that it's connected because there's always this uh, Halloween versus Reformation Day. Um, I'm going to Google this as we as we talk. But anyway, okay, good regardless idea. of the date. Google it. Um, so how, how might we use Reformation Day? In Reformation Day. Um, I think this is a, a really – the, the history of the Reformation is a really fruitful thing to talk through with your young people because, again, it, talk, it, it points us to the gospel um, because uh, when you talk about the, the theological richness of the Reformation history, um, we're automatically talking about the authority of the Bible and we're talking about, like, Scripture alone, grace alone, um, uh, Christ alone, faith alone, all the all the solas, um, and you know you might want to talk about Luther and his the way he his his little story and how he came to understand the gospel of grace rather than a gospel of works, um, and celebrate Reformation Day, um, and I, I think young people are actually really interested because I've had young people ask me like quite a lot what's the difference between the protestant church and the catholic church mm. i get that in scripture yeah there you they go. teach primary school scripture and some of their yeah. classmates go off to that classroom and they do catholic scripture and some of them stay here and do yeah protestant scripture no one knows what the word protestant means yeah. um so we just call it combined christian scripture <laughs> um but it's still not the catholic so what's going on why are they over yeah. there um and it's a good question you know, yeah why are they over there so let's teach them. Yeah. They're interested in that question. <laughs> let's teach them, teach them on Reformation Day. So when is Reformation Day? Well, Reformation Day is on the 31st of October. That's right. Yeah. So because it's the day before All Saints Day. So All Saints Day okay. is the uh, 1st of November. Um, so it's and so coming that was, up. It is coming up. So, yeah. If, you uh, could do it on the I don't Sunday know when this, the 30th. Yes. I don't know when this episode will air, but if you're hearing this before Monday the 31st of October or Sunday the 30th of October, you could do a Reformation mm-hmm. Sunday. Yeah, so teaching about that. Um, excellent. Well, uh, that's been really, really helpful. Thank you so much, Ruth, for helping us understand that. Um, I guess the last kind of question, uh, do you have any ideas or resources that you found? You, you teach young adults, church history at YouthWorks College. As you said, mm-hmm. you're doing um, your own junior high ministry at your church. Um, anything that you've come across that will help with those who are doing youth, young adults or children's ministry in church history? Is there any books you've come across that you really love or videos mm-hmm. that you're really into? Well, I, I mean, as would have come out from this, I, I love biographies. So I'd encourage you guys to get into uh, the biographies of Christians of the past. Mm. So if, just for your own edification, um, the... Other resource, if you're more into uh, listening rather than reading, is John Piper has these Christian biographies 
um, of famous Christians of the well, not famous Christians, you know, significant Christians of yep. the past. So if you go onto the Desiring God website um, and then look up biographies, there's some very significant Christians. Um, there's just podcasts mm. of not podcast, you know, audios yeah, of, yeah. of him giving talks on significant Christians. I, I've found them really good as well. Which I think originated, if I'm correct, uh, as sermons in his church. Like he would take one. Um, I think it was a conference. Oh, it was a conference. It was a conference. Yeah, yeah, so he yeah, would do yeah, 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 these big significant yeah, talks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love them. I mean, it's not as if you would then give that talk to your kids, but you would. You might summarise like some of the things that you've learned and then yeah, and, and it's been a while since I've listened you. to any of those, but I, I had listened to some in the past, and I, if I remember correctly, the the weaving that he does between just historical story and uh, faith and biblical truths and, mm. and how to how they may inspire us today, yeah, you know, to then now live as Christians. I hope yeah. he does that connection point. Yeah, it's really a good well. model, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you, Ruth. It's been great having you on the podcast. Thanks for having me. The Effective Ministry Podcast is a production of YouthWorks in Sydney. We want to see effective youth and children's ministry in every church. And one of the ways that you can help us do that is by letting people know about this podcast in all the usual ways, like comment, share and review on your favorite social media and podcasting platform. If you've got comments, thoughts or questions for this podcast, you can email us at effectiveministrypodcast at youthworks.net. And also check out youthworks.net for other ways that YouthWorks can help you have an effective youth and children's ministry in your church.